Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Shine a Light on series. Today, we'll be shining a light on making the most of college career centers with Rose Nakamoto. Thank you for joining us, Rose. Mariah, I'm delighted to be with you. Yes, happy to have you. And just to start, can you tell us a bit about who you are? Absolutely. I got my start in this work really by happenstance, meaning it was sort of like a combination of environmental, societal, economic factors and my own interests. So when I graduated from college, it was during a pretty big recession. I had known in college I wanted to work with students and I wanted to really help people get unstuck, particularly those facing barriers. My first job out of college was working in the mayor's office in San Francisco on a workforce development program aimed at helping at-risk youth get access to internships and jobs. That one experience, while it wasn't what I was aiming for post-graduation, it ended up unlocking a whole host of possibilities for me that led me to where I am now, which is the director of the Career Center at Santa Clara University, where myself and my team were sort of the chief career officers at our university to help students integrate their education and certainly connect them to access to social capital and opportunities. Mm -hmm. Yes, thank you for that intro. So why work with college students and maybe why Santa Clara? Yeah, great, great question. You know, it's so interesting. I have always been drawn to people and like what makes people unique, what drives them, what motivates them. And one of my top strengths is really about maximizing. So maximizing people's potential. And so I've done that in a variety of settings, whether I'm looking at organizationally, I've worked in HR where I've been able to help organizations build talent pipelines and understand how to maximize that to build the future of their workforce. I've done it very individualistically, working with high school students students, understanding what kind of crude skills they have and how they want to apply those gifts post high school graduation. But what I found actually was the sweet spot for me is working at the college level because that's a place where students are really understanding who they are. There's that self-actualization piece, starting to have more life experience to inform value strengths. And at a really unique juncture where students are preparing to launch into the world. And that particular developmental juncture is exciting for me. So after working with high school students and doing a lot of my own discernment work as I was exploring master's programs, I really realized that that developmental place for college students was where I wanted to be because there was so much potential and a lot of pressure too. I've worked in a number of public and private institutions from Stanford University, San Jose State, and multi-college sort of community college districts doing a whole host of things. What I love about Santa Clara is it's the only institution I've worked for that's mission-based. Our Jesuit sort of foundation around the whole person, holistic student formation, but also really our education being prepared to establish our students in a way that they want to make an impact in the world. That's a language that all staff and faculty share. And it's something, those values that I really see in our students, they're really engaged and care about making impact. And I've not really quite seen it so explicitly in another college campuses. You mentioned that you saw a lot of potential with working with college students. Do you feel like that potential has been met at all during your time as a director of the Career Center? And when do you feel the most fulfilled in your role? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So, I mean, I would say that once I finished my master's program, I, I went to San Jose State to get my master's in education. I did several externship internships as a master's student. And when I had the opportunity to work on a college campus, it was very clear to me very instantly working with college students at this particular topic around their their vocation and career aspirations that that was, I would do this work without getting paid. Now, of course, everyone needs a paycheck. You know, Everyone has responsibilities to meet, but that was sort of the indication for me that 
I was where I needed to be, that I was, I was living out sort of my own values is that I would be willing to do this without pay because it was extremely energizing. What I will say very candidly is that in the 15 years since I've sort of been in higher ed, nonprofit, workforce development, early talent space, a lot has transformed and changed really drastically. And so what keeps me doing the work now is very different from what brought me. So I don't work as directly with students anymore. My role now is really to help guide strategy and vision around the role of career education and work readiness alongside a Jesuit education. And so I work very externally of the Career Center with employers, with industry, with university leaders to really look at what does this need to look like? What models do we need to be developing for our students? And there's a lot more pressure on students these days and on the educational systems to fulfill the promise of the educational degree. And so we're dealing with problems and challenges that I never dreamed that I would be facing. At the same time, I think there's so much opportunity. So it's sort of the system change piece, the leading through change that I really love and helping my team move forward in a really healthy, proactive way for our students. Mm -hmm. The note that you said about how you would do that work for free. I feel like that's how you know. Yes. <laughs> that's the goal for everyone. Yeah. So that's great to hear. A hundred percent. I've had lots of jobs and some jobs. I've always learned something from every position I've been in, but I haven't always felt like I was truly operating in alignment with who I am. And so that is exactly that moment. If you ever are blessed to have that experience, then you know you're in the zone. You're right where you should be. So switching gears a little bit to talk more about career centers specifically. From your perspective, what role does a career center have on a college campus and to students? Yeah. And I think this is a, such an important topic. And I'm going to just sort of dissect this for a moment because career centers have been around for over a hundred years on a college campus. And the role of a career center has changed with each passing decade. After the major world war, a lot of vets were going back to school to get their education and career centers are really there to place vets in the manufacturing economy. And so you still hear faculty and staff refer to career centers as placement centers because of that. And then it really, career counseling emerged in the 1990s and the 1980s, and it was really about helping students discern who they are and how to apply those strengths to a time of recession that we were in in the 80s and 90s. And then it's really now shifted. I would really actually like to deconstruct what a career center is because it's always sort of resided on the periphery of a college campus, that place that you see, oh, I have to go there my senior year when I need you know, a job or I have to go there my junior year to get an internship. And it feels very transactional. It feels very intimidating. The typical college career center really isn't integrated into the fabric of the undergraduate experience, nor is it integrated into student communities. I would say the role of a career center has changed. And if I had my way, I would say, let's get rid of the college career center as we know it and rebuild something new and rebuild something that's much more integrated so that for students who finish their four years of their undergraduate experience, the process of discernment, preparation, and understanding how to make connections and how to reinvent yourself, like life design principles are really embedded into the, are imbued into your educational experience. So the role that most career centers currently play is not the role I believe that it should be moving forward. Can you elaborate a little bit on sort of your vision for that? Yeah. So I think career centers could become a few different things. I think one model could be career centers could become an entrepreneurial arm of a university and actually you kind of remove having a formal hub on a university campus. And maybe you have a fleet of sort of career ambassadors that are alums, that are employers that really coach and help guide students in the process of preparing for entering the workforce. And these are influencers, right? These are people that create content on a whole host of channels to help students understand that process 
I think a career center could become like a center for the future of work. And I think on a college campus where you actually have strong partnerships with industry, where there's incubation of ideas and consulting projects and capstone projects that actually happens inside of a career center where students get to do hands-on learning and building with employers. And potentially there's dotted lines to all of the academic academies, right? And major programs. And I could see a career center becoming more embedded on a college campus that way. I also see the potential for career centers becoming the centers for life design and students learning design thinking principles, not as it relates to building products or services, but are on how do you design your life? How do you design a life worth living? I think all students should understand how to go about that process because most students will change jobs seven to 10 times the first decade out of college, let alone in the decades beyond. So we need to be teaching students essential life design skills and how that intersects with their educational experience. So I think there's a few different models, an entrepreneurial one, one that's more embedded in the institution if we become a hub for incubation and consulting and projects that are real world of work problems and issues that we could actually bring and integrate better into students' learning. Yes. I love these ideas. <laughs> I needed these. <laughs> I needed these in college. <laughs> and a quick note on the first thing that you said, I know you mentioned having career ambassadors that were faculty or even alum, yes. but I think you and I both know too that there's a lot of current students that just know a lot about professional development, yes. whether it's self-taught or they reached out to recruiters to learn more. So I think they could be great ambassadors as well. Oh, absolutely. I think you're right. Ambassadors could be students, peers, because the peer-to-peer learning is so important. And you're right. We have so many enterprising, engaged students that are so accomplished and motivated at Santa Clara. So I think it's finding different tiers of that. You know, who are those influencers at all levels? Yes, agreed. As a first year, I would feel, I think, more comfortable talking to a student that was one or two years older than me than maybe even a recruiter or faculty member I didn't know super well. Yeah, no, absolutely. And you actually raise something that I think is the future. There's a whole host of factors that go into why students choose a college campus, whether it's academic programs, when you went on campus and you had a tour, or you have family members that went to that university, or it's very prestigious for the certain area of research that you're interested in. So whatever that may be, but Ultimately, what needs to happen is the promise that's made at the admissions process about outcomes and the experience you'll have should be coordinated. So the mm-hmm. end-to-end student-to-alumni experience, I think a lot of universities could be a lot better at that. And what I mean by that is when you come into an ecosystem of a university, you should have access to mentors, whether they be peers, faculty, staff, and alums. And I think a lot of campuses are starting to move in the direction of using technology to integrate these milestone mentorship experiences that are critical, Mm -hmm. especially for our marginalized students, our students that face special barriers that don't have access to social capital readily. As you well know, Maura. Yes. (laughs) Yes. You know, I love to talk about mentorship. (laughs) And on this note, actually, you just brought up an idea or at least a connection in my mind is that a lot of times when you join a big company, especially like a more established company, they have a thousand mentorship programs that you can join, whether that's peer to peer. There's also reverse mentoring. So if you're early career, you can mentor someone that's later or Mm. Um, Mm mid-career. There's so many mentorship opportunities when you enter a job. It almost seems it should be something similar when you enter a college. I love that idea. And actually, I hadn't heard of the flipped model as often, that being an Mm -hmm. early kind of early career person in organization, having like a mid-career mentee. I love the idea of that reverse mentoring for faculty and staff, you know, to have Mm -hmm. information 
and openness like, because learning should never stop. Right. And there's a lot we can learn from different generations. Correct. So you're absolutely right. Like companies have that figured out the companies that are smart about retaining talent and universities should be doing that too, not just for retention issues, but for the developmental and the formative health of our students and our the demographics are changing across the country. Yes. By and large, we're going to have more first-generation students. I mean, what is the role of higher education? It should be less about privilege and prestige and more about serving our, our local and national communities to give people access to education that can transform the trajectory of their life. I think possibly, yeah. And hopefully universities and colleges wouldn't be so stagnant or stick to traditional values if mm. all of the incoming first years are saying, hey, I, I prefer this method of learning. Mm-hmm. You're right. And, and also it communicates something. You just described a, a model where as an early professional in an organization, you could be viewed as having value to give someone who's mid-career. And it also sets the stage to letting students know that you have agency and you have a perspective that is worth, mm-hmm. is should be at the table. Yes. And I think that's also important at the university level. It's not just a top-down. You're right. We have a lot of tradition in higher ed. It goes back decades, yes. if not hundreds of years. And so how does higher ed take that tradition and move forward? Oftentimes there's a tension there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We just said a lot of good ideas. I hope yes. <laughs> people are listening in and taking notes. Yes. But... To go back to career centers specifically for a second, what is typical? Like when students come to you, what are their most common issues or topics that they want to chat with your career advisors about? Yeah, this is such a great question. And, you know, because I've worked in career education for a long time and started as an intern working with students and have done lots of different roles in a career center, I know I would say the number one issue is resume. So students think, you know, I've got to get my resume dusted off. I got to start somewhere. And so I would say that's always the gateway. By and large, that is actually not the pressing issue. Oftentimes, that's an easy thing to come in with because it can be daunting to be like, I don't even know where I'm supposed to start. Do I lean in with that question? I'm embarrassed to say that. Mm -hmm. Students should absolutely not be embarrassed to say that. But what often happens when a student comes in for a resume, what gets uncovered in the course of a few minutes is actually there's a lot bigger questions that that the student should and could explore. So for example, last week, I was working with a first generation student who wanted me to look at her resume, which I was happy to do. And in the course of the conversation, it was clear she wasn't really sure yet what she wanted to apply for, but she knew she wanted an internship. And so as we were unpacking that, it was clear she was like, you know, I haven't really even considered what industries or areas I might be interested in because I know of only a couple, Mm -hmm. but I have a feeling there's probably a lot else out there that I'm just not aware of. And so that prompted us to do an assessment around her interests. And that assessment led to her discovering sort of latent interests and passions that she had never really considered could be a career. And also no one had ever really encouraged her because she doesn't have anyone in her family who was role modeling those industries or those occupations. And often students are like, I'm so glad I came in. I never would have thought that a resume would lead to some other bigger meteor discussions. So I'd say resume is big. So resume, interview prep, I'm getting ready for this interview. Can I do a mock interview? It's how do I do research on a company? It's also sort of like, what do I do with this major? Like if I am sociology or studio art or econ, I'm hearing this from my faculty members. This doesn't align with my interests. So what do I do with this major? Mm -hmm. So it's usually like a very tactical question. That's something very specific that students don't realize there's actually much bigger questions underneath that. And that's why it's so important students utilize career center resources, because oftentimes 
like all of us, when we're at a crossroads, we don't know what questions to ask. And sometimes we don't know what we don't know. Yeah. I would say those are the biggest things. And just to be open and that to know that it's okay. I think there's such a pressure these days for students to know the outcome and to have their future figured out. And so we actually could be seeing more of our students in appointments or to come through our office, but there's just a hyper-competitive landscape in higher ed for students. They're less willing to be open Mm -hmm. because they fear that that means that they're behind. That paradigm needs to shift dramatically. I definitely agree. There's so much pressure and a lot of students feel they need to pressure themselves to go after the same companies and job roles as the people around them just because that's what everyone else is doing. And I think that has spiraled into something very, very interesting where certain companies are highlighted. And if you sort of make it, like that's how society defines that you've really made it by taking part in these large companies that don't necessarily align with what students are interested in. But it's the name brand, I think, that people are going for a lot of the time. That is so true, Mariah. And here's the biggest tension that I really want to encourage students to consider. If you just focus on the extrinsic achievements, like the things that you think look good on paper or look good on LinkedIn or that, you know, your parents will be proud of or you'll be proud of if it's extrinsic focused only. If you follow that path, you know, three to five to seven to 10 years, you're going to end up in a bankruptcy Mm -hmm. in a place where you're not feeling fulfilled by what you're doing. If you choose a path that's just based on those external factors, you really need to find a balance of what makes sense for who you are in alignment with what action you take. And so my big advice for students, especially in a more challenging job market like we're in right now, is to don't just follow the path. If you see all the students going after internships, Find something creative because there's, you should absolutely go for internships, but don't let that be the only thing that you're doing, especially if it doesn't yield you anything. Think about projects that you can take on, get involved in something that matters to you. And that how you articulate that to an employer will matter far more than the big name company you worked at without a few exceptions. You know, there are some very competitive career fields where it does matter where you work, but by and large, I think it's really about what you're learning and how you're integrating that into who you are. So don't follow the pack. You follow the pack like everyone else. It's not going to lead you to a worthwhile sort of life and purpose. And that bankruptcy is something you'll you'll hit that wall sooner or later. I definitely agree with this. When reflecting on what career I'd like to get into, but even a major, I think you could ask these same exact questions. Do I feel fulfilled? Am I doing this for extrinsic reasons? Yes. Or does this align with a passion that I have? We've talked about this, the power of connections. And I know that's something you're leaning into at Opal, Mariah. And when you do have the chance to connect with people who work in different professions, ask them the question, did you see yourself in this role three, five, 10 years ago? And I bet most people would say no, because careers are not linear. Yeah. And I would never have thought I'd be a person or director. That is not what I was gunning for when I was in college. Certainly not. It wasn't what I was aiming for even five years ago. But if you feel capacity around things that matter, that are important, that are emerging, whatever your value system is, follow that and work will come mm-hmm. as long as you hard. Yes, I definitely agree with that. I'm not sure you can ever see those things coming. I think a lot of the times sort of how you get promoted or what company you move to and things like that stems from someone taking a chance on you or someone giving you an opportunity. How do you even see that coming? You know, that is so true. And one thing that I wish that young people, particularly groups of students that are more underrepresented in, in professions, whether it be from a gender perspective, from a race perspective, I wish there was more conversation, mm-hmm. more educators, more leaders talking about their own self-doubts 
and how they overcome and work through that because it doesn't just happen for college students. Everyone in their career continues to feel imposter syndrome. And am I worthy for this? Can I do this? I actually think it's a really healthy thing to take meaningful risks and to take more risks outside of your comfort zone. If you're about to start a job or an internship and you have those questions of this is really exciting, but I actually don't know if I can do this. It's really healthy to feel that way because it's a sign you're going to grow and you're going to learn. And don't be worried about that feeling of imposter syndrome because everyone experiences it and we just need to talk about it more. Definitely agree. I do think in the last years, imposter syndrome is almost like a buzzword. Yeah at least more it's normalized, which is good. I think that means we're heading in the right direction to chat about wellness more than ever before. That's right. I'm curious from your perspective, how you believe students view career centers. Yeah, I love this question because I actually think there's a pretty big disconnect between the intention of what a career center is supposed to do and the perception students have of career centers. And I think part of it is a systemic issue. Based on my answer earlier, I think we just need to kind of do away with a traditional career center model and build something new. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons is because I think students like myself when I was in college, you know your career center is there, but you've probably never stepped foot in there or been in touch with someone from a career center because you may think the resources they build aren't there for other students. Or you may not actually know someone who works in a career center. And so why should you trust anyone who works there? Mm -hmm. Got peers or friends or other networks that help you give information. So I think career centers aren't really embedded in student communities. We're not really embedded in the academy either. You know, your department, your academic department where you're learning and the faculty, you know, there. So we're an outlier. And because of that, I think it hinders student engagement. And it's challenging for us as a career center to actually make meaningful connections with students and the community of the college campus. Mm -hmm. I would love your perspective, Mariah, because you've worked in the career center, but you also as a student had your own perspective and that of your peers to, you know, what is a career center and what does your career center do? Yes, I feel very lucky that I started working at the Career Center my first year. So I knew all of the things that you all offered. And I think most importantly, though, I knew you as human beings. And mm-hmm. so if I ever wanted to ask you a career related question, I was not shy about it. And I mentioned this because I just want to loop this conversation back to the imposter syndrome a little bit and that some excuses I've heard around why students choose not to visit the career centers because they feel like they're not ready to ask for Mm. help or advice, which is ironic, I know. But maybe they're like, I need my resume to be polished or I feel like I need to add something else before I have someone look at it, especially someone who knows what they're doing because you guys are the experts. And so visiting you can be a little intimidating, especially if I don't know you as Mm -hmm. a person. I think that is the top excuse that I have heard. Yeah, no, I'm so glad you're sharing that. We're in a culture, we talked about this hyper competitive landscape. And I think that taps into like, I have to be ready. Mm-hmm. I have to feel like I have sort of my ducks in a row before I even start that process. Yes, And that is maybe the biggest barrier of all. How do we shift that? I mean, I think part of it is that students have to choose to engage, right? And so what are the external internal prompts that's going to prompt us to do that? And so that's sort of my argument, my two cents for why it should be integrated so that it's not a matter of this, we're sort of on the periphery, you have to choose to kind of step outside of what you normally would do it day to day to engage in that process. It shouldn't be such a heavy, big thing. Just a really quick, funny story a couple of years ago that's illuminating the sort of dynamic you're sharing. A group of seniors that wanted to film in the career center, you know, they're making a short video and the student remarked to me like, this is the perfect setting to make to film what we're going to do because this looks exactly like a dental office. 
And I thought about that. I'm like, that's really not the vibe we're going for. You know, like think about it. Who likes to go to the dentist? And I actually thought about it. I'm like, it's so true because you go into, you come into our office, there's like a waiting room with magazines and maybe there's that association of, I just have to get through this. I just have to Mm -hmm. get this over with. This is one of those things I know I have to do. I know I'm up against a deadline. I need to get an internship. So we need to shift that. Physical space needs to change. The model needs to change, but also, you know, encouraging students. This is something you should take the bull by the horns and leverage your student status gauge and exploration. My husband for many years has worked on the high school level to help students get into college. So we have these conversations all the time because he sees how pressurized it's become to get into college and the lengths that students are taking to be overachievers, to look good on paper in order to be accepted by college admissions. And that pressure doesn't go away. It just trickles up. So you think I've gotten into the college that of my dreams or that I thought I'd get into. And the challenge is what you're saying is students still feel the pressure to be achievement oriented. Mm-hmm. And when is there space for students to explore and to learn and to grow without having to know the outcome? And that that's really a broader educational system challenge. I agree. In addition to learning and growing, just trying things with a possible expectation that it might not work out. I think that horrifies students a little bit, especially perfectionists and again, overachievers. If I'm going to do all these things, you know, I'm going to do it right and make sure it's perfect. But if we go into more things, especially things that we're passionate about and feel fulfilled about with this idea of, hey, this might not work out, but that's okay because it's something I'm exploring. That would be awesome. Super healthy, I think, for even students' minds. We sit right in the crux of that in the Career Center because we know how often and how frequently students are thinking about their future. And yet we know how many students aren't engaging proactively in that process. Mm -hmm. And so we want students to know every Career Center wants, you know, is very dedicated to student success. I would always encourage students to think about every career center is different and situated differently, resourced differently. And so my hope is that career centers, you know, have sort of visionary leaders that see their role beyond just resume and cover letters and really see their role as an educational partner with institutional leadership, because the future of education needs to integrate this much better for students. The combination of liberal arts education with sort of practical applied knowledge, what you can contribute to the world outside of your learning experience. So I'll get off my soapbox. That's a long way of saying that I think career centers could be strategic, should be strategic partners with the institution for helping to shape and build where we go from here. Yes, definitely agree. I'm going to switch gears again. I know that you and I in the past have talked about education friction, and I'd love for you to sort of describe to the audience what that is and how it impacts students and universities. Yeah, and I'd love your perspective on this too, Mariah. I think the future, if colleges aren't talking about education friction, then they should be. And education friction is can be a whole host of things. It can be what keeps students from being able to attend a four-year institution, you know, barriers that prevents people from getting into those systems. It can be friction at areas that make it impossible for a student to finish their four-year degree. And it can also be the friction between the perceived role of higher education and education and the needs of a workforce. And so what this could look like is sort of, we've been seeing the consumerization of higher ed, much more focus around what is the ROI of tuition dollars. And, you know, some academic folks are bucking that, well, the role of education is really not related to outcomes and employment. And so that's an education friction area. Another one is access. 
and the role of education, the cost of education. Oh my goodness, the cost of education and how many people get shut out from their educational experience because it's not something that they can afford. This idea of student agency, isolation, imposter syndrome. I just saw the World Economic Forum published a new future of skills report and resiliency and flexibility and ability to recover are now in demand skills that employers are seeking. Mm -hmm. I mean, and that's interesting, right? A year ago, that wasn't a thing. But now most employers and companies are planning to keep their remote workforces. This idea of isolation is going to continue. How employers are recruiting on college campuses is drastically changing and sort of making sure that there's equal access to marginalized students in this virtual landscape. I'm I'm really concerned about that, sort of losing some of the diversity and the strides that are trying to be made because of access to technology. So those are a few. And I would love to hear your perspective, Mariah, on where you see friction, whether it's keeping people from going into four-year institutions or preventing them from graduating or feeling that tension, trying to make the leap between education to the next thing. This is a big question. (laughs) I think we have covered a lot of these topics throughout this chat already. But one thing I have noticed, at least during my time at Santa Clara, was that a lot of people getting the roles that I was looking for as a four-year attendee, people were getting these same roles without college education, especially in software. Yes. And that sort of just made me question myself. There's a lot of things. I mean, basically every connection I have today is from attending a four-year university. So I wouldn't take anything back. I have no regrets. But it was something I had to reflect on, of course, and question myself about my peers too, would question that too. If these same people are getting these roles that I would like in 10 weeks, you know, from doing a 10-week program versus a four-year program, why would I choose the four-year, which is much more expensive as well? I would say that has been my biggest observation in terms of friction in that sense. You know, Mariah, and I think that's only going to increase. I was in a conversation recently with some early talent leaders and ed tech leaders on this very topic of skill development. And do you need a four-year institution, you know, degree to enter into some of these technical fields in particular? I think what we're going to see is an emergence of connecting students or early talent, you know, age 18 to 26 with skill development platforms and whether or not you need a four-year degree to go into some of these fields like, you know, data science, like cloud Mm -hmm. computing. There's a lot of players in the skill development space. And I think that pressure is going to go back on higher ed. Yes. And it's not just the time, you know, the time to degree acquisition, which is lengthy for four-year programs, but it's also the cost. Mm -hmm. I think you're right. And especially for you where you are questioning, you know, more and more you're hearing employers say it's not about the four-year degree. Do you have the skills? Right. Can you do this job? I think that's a big debate in our country around what is the value of education. And I don't think that's going away. I think that tension is going to be with us for a while. I definitely agree with you on that. The big reasons I agree with that is because from a recruitment standpoint, what I have experienced, it seems like the two most important things are your personal connections, your ability to network with others, and also the skills that you have. Both of those things nowadays can be done without a degree. That's sort of why that came up. But another point I just want to make is a few reasons why I think a university or college experience is very much worth it, or what would make it worth it to me, is if we had 
mandatory interdisciplinary projects that we had to do with people across the campus. I think I mostly always worked with engineers because I was a designer that made it somewhat interdisciplinary, but I would have loved, I needed to work with business students and more College of Arts and Sciences students during my time. And the fact that I'm doing that nowadays with Opal and at work even, or the equivalent, I guess, that has made me grow and learn so much. And I don't think that's something a boot camp can offer, especially if everyone's learning the same thing. So that would sell me. No, you're right. Because the boot camp is a very vertical proposition, build very specific vertical skills. But you're right that truly the interdisciplinary model, not only does it set up for you to be successful in the workplace where you're going to have to collaborate with folks from different functions and different disciplines, but it also, I think, will help fuel innovation, right? I mean, problems aren't solved in a vacuum by one area, you know, by all engineers or by all anthropologists. You do need people with different perspectives and educational backgrounds looking at these problems. I wholeheartedly agree with you. I mean, I think there's just some challenge in higher ed and how we're structured Mm -hmm. to do that. And I think we need to move beyond that. And, you know, the D school at Stanford long ago kind of embraced that idea. The innovation comes from interdisciplinary work. And I think that is the future. That could be a differentiator too Mm -hmm. for the four-year experience in a way that a boot camp that's very vertical won't be able to give you that. You're right. I think that's it. I think that's the differentiator. And I, I don't know if I ever told you this, but I participated in the University Innovation Fellows Program through the Stanford D Uh School. Oh, you did? I did, yes. Shout out to the D School. (laughs) I think that program really opened my eyes. Why don't we have this equivalent sort of building even where anyone from any major can come and work with others to build something? Definitely an inspirational building to even be in. Oh my gosh, absolutely. And just the way that they think about solving problems and the fluidity and the flexibility for which they do that. I'm so excited you had that opportunity and I could see why that would open your eyes to other learners learning models. Yes. Part of the reason I'm who I am today, I think, is because I went through that program. Wow. That's phenomenal. Yes. It's a gem in our own backyard. Agreed. And so what a great thing so early in your career and your own formation to get access to. For sure. I have seen signs of it at SCU, especially in the entrepreneurship Mm -hmm. courses I've taken, but nothing to that extent. But I know from the Sioka Center that we're headed in the right direction. So I'm excited to see the future. Mm Mm-hmm. That's good. Yes. Yes. My last question for you, Rose, is do you have any general tips or last words for students looking for jobs and internships right now, since obviously we're sort of in the height of recruitment season? Let me just say three things. One is don't underestimate the innovation that can come during times of crisis and uncertainty. A lot of big companies were founded in the last recession, I think Uber being one of them. Pay attention to emerging needs, whether it be from a product standpoint, a service standpoint, because our students are poised to really build some exciting things that will meet new needs of our society. So pay attention because innovation can come out of moments like this and there's opportunities to be seized on. I would encourage students to plan your energy for a search process, whether you're looking at grad school, internships or jobs, plan your energy for a marathon, not a sprint. The job search process is just going to take longer. For example, I would say pace your energy. You may have to apply to three to five opportunities a day, applying for dozens of positions over longer periods of time. And that is normal. used to be, you know, I'd hear from students, they'd say, I've applied to 12 jobs and I haven't heard back. And I'm kind of feeling like I want to give up, you know, or I'm just feeling discouraged. It, it may take far more jobs than 12. So just be ready for that. The other thing I would encourage students to do is have multiple plans, have a plan A, a plan B and a plan C. 
So be applying for that internship aggressively, be reaching out and doing networking, as you said, Mariah, because that's really the golden ticket is the relationships, but maybe also be pursuing some research opportunities or projects that you could do in lieu of an internship or be looking at gig work. So what gig work could you do on the side that might also help you build skills. And the final thing I'll leave you with, so be pursuing all three of those things, all three plans simultaneously and see what yields you. Now, what ends up coming your way may not be what you are gunning for, but take that opportunity and maximize it. No job or opportunity is too small during times of economic uncertainty. I spoke with an an alum from LMU, one of our sister Jesuit campuses who graduated in 2009, right when the economy had really tanked. And she said, you know, I was a design major. I was going to go into environmental design, but that wasn't going to happen. And so for my first nine months out of college, I nannied. I was a nanny. It was not what I thought I was going to be doing, but she's like, you know what? It actually really prepared me for being a program manager now because I had to help manage that household. I was responsible for a lot of elements of the learning, for the shopping, for the organization of a large family and their children. Those are wonderful transferable skills. So take whatever opportunity you can get and maximize it. No opportunity is too small right now. And leverage your career center. So whether you're a senior or you're a first-year student, you can engage with us at Santa Clara's Career Center through Handshake, which is our job and internship platform. You can request appointments with our staff please claim your Handshake account. Start exploring. And Handshake has lots of opportunities. It curates opportunities for students like Netflix does or Spotify does. There are hundreds of employers that are hiring students. It just may not be in the industries that you thought you'd be working in potentially. So be open to pivoting and making a shift. It may be you know short term. It might be longer. So two things. Make sure you are engaging your career center. Find out how you can access resources virtually. If Handshake is the platform you have on your school, you have dozens of opportunities for students to connect with employers virtually. Check Handshake for those upcoming events and make sure you engage. Engagement is key. It's never too late or never too early. Yes. Thank you for all that. Rose, very, very helpful. And thank you for joining us. As always, it's great chatting with you. Oh, so great to chat with you too, Mariah. I really appreciated the chance to be on your program. And I love the questions and the thinking to help students in this really challenging time. And I also think it's an exciting time. I think there's a lot of opportunity right now. It just will probably take a little extra sweat equity to discover those. Yes. To anyone tuning in, thank you for listening. As always at Opal, we shine brighter together and we'll see you next time.